The word of our Lord from the epistle to the Hebrews. God has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, in fact, in the Psalms, saying, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor and have set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect, through suffering. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them his brethren, saying, I have I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you, and again I will put my trust in him, and again here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Therefore, holy brethren... Partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was also faithful in all of his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Amen. Lord, we pray that you have blessed the reading of your word to our hearts and to our lives. May we follow where you lead. 
In the name of your Son, Amen. I'll be honest with you, I've always been intimidated by the book of Hebrews. If, uh, if, there's, if, there's a, if, if there's a book from the Bible that, I would, uh, that I'm most intimidated about preaching from other than Leviticus, it would be Hebrews. Hebrews is that New Testament letter that is uh, it's just intimidating to me. It is, it is really an epic letter. It's, it's long. You know, I always encourage you to try to read letters all in one sitting. Just like, you know, you don't get an email and read the first few lines of it and say, I'll read a few more lines later, and then a few more lines maybe later, and a few more lines maybe the next day. Instead, you know, you sit and you read the whole thing in order to, to gather what all's going on. I normally encourage you to do that with the New Testament letters. Hebrew is a little bit more difficult. If you could read it in one sitting, I promise you it would be advantageous to you, but it would be difficult. It's several chapters. Um, it, it's, a, it's a long read. But when you, when you hear the total, the total picture of what the, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, you have this epic story that is filled with, with, with journeys, and it's filled with mountains, and it's filled with voices loud booming voices it's filled with images of priests and intercession and sacrifice and it's filled with all sorts of pleas to the reader to come and to follow you're you're being invited into a, a, a an epic story to come and to follow where jesus is leading his people and so the Hebrews writer is using a variety of examples. Moses here, Abraham he also mentions. He mentions others, especially in chapter 11, that, that great faith chapter, where he's talking about these, these examples that serve as witnesses to our lives who are watching us, but also as, as witnesses to our lives as they stand before us and we're able to, to see their lives in real time and real space. And are able to see an example of what it looks like to live a life that is passionately and unwaveringly following Jesus. But Hebrews is very intimidating. It's intimidating because it sounds very different from the other New Testament books. Not sounds different in that it's contradicting. Sounding different in that it it sounds like it's just a voice you've never heard before. A voice that is foreign, that you can pick up on the words, but it's hard to follow where where he's going. But you've got this epic story. And in this epic story, an epic invitation to come. I mentioned one of the thematic elements that is woven throughout this letter, throughout the epistle to the Hebrews, is a mountain. There's not just one mountain or just, just a mountain that's mentioned in Hebrews. You've got several images of a mountain and God's people being called up to the mountain. Being called up to the mountain to hear the voice of God. And being called up to the mountain so that they might draw close to God. And so this idea of, of a mountain and a mountaintop experience. And a, an invitation to come to this intimidating Physical structure is woven throughout the letter to the Hebrews. You almost hear an echo from the top of those mountains saying, would you come up? It's beautiful up here. You can see so much more from up here. 
the chief character, so to speak, in the book of Hebrews. A book filled with these great patriarchs like Moses and Abraham. Seems that Isaiah is perhaps mentioned in passing in chapter 11. Melchizedek, a mysterious and intimidating priestly figure from the Old Testament. The chief character in the midst of all those great, great examples is Jesus. It's him that the letter refers to as our great high priest. Our compassionate and merciful high priest. It's him who's referred to as the apostle of our faith. The one who goes out and declares our faith to us. You remember that there were quite a number of mountains spoken of in the life and ministry of Christ. Mountains played a very significant role in His ministry. You remember, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. Several chapters in Matthew's Gospel given to that sermon. You'll remember the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration as those three disciples, Peter, James, and John, were able to catch a glimpse of the glory of Christ as His face was shining with brilliant radiance and as His clothes became dazzling white, as His whole countenance was transformed before them. And those three disciples are, are, are speechless, are stunned at this great mountain and the activity that is happening upon it. You perhaps might remember the Mount of Olives. It was a significant mountain in Jesus' life, particularly as, as the days were drawing to the end, as He made His way to Jerusalem, and as He pulled away from Jerusalem for some time to, to give the Olivet Discourse. It was also at the Mount of Olives that the Ascension took place, that we celebrate this week. As Jesus appointed this mountain for His disciples outside of the city of Jerusalem to come and to bear witness, to be sent out, testifying that the One who came from heaven has gone back to heaven and He's made us to be His ambassadors, to go and to proclaim His good news to the whole world. There's also the mountain called Calvary. I was always confused that word Calvary. I know it's not cavalry, but I always wondered where does that you know, we refer to Mount Calvary, particularly in the old Southern Gospel hymns, we refer to Mount Calvary. And I thought, is this like some you know kind of silly way of referring to the crucifixion? But it actually comes from Latin. And it's a, it's a translation of, of that, uh, that Greek word Golgotha. They both mean the place of the skull. The place where Jesus was crucified. Where He bled. Where He died. Where His body was dead and taken off of a cross and laid into a tomb. 
Yes, mountains played a pivotal role in the life and ministry of Jesus. And after the resurrection, but before the ascension, Christ called His disciples to a mountain and He commissioned them in Galilee to go and to proclaim the good news. He did that from a mountain. You know, mountains have a certain movement about them. When we think of a mountain, we think of ascending a mountain, but you know you can't stay on the mountain. So we think also, kind of in hindsight sometimes, about descending those mountains. There are ebbs and flows that come in the life of the Christian The life of discipleship is often described as as a series of mountain peaks and valleys. Unfortunately, we often become far too comfortable with the low points in our walk with Jesus. And shame on us if that's the case. But we often speak about making strides upward and then slowing in our walk. We talk about those mountaintop experiences. We remember church camps. We remember retreats. We remember revivals. We remember times where God was clear and evident and obviously speaking to us where we we could almost hear His voice in our ears. Where we could almost see the smoke descending. And we talk also about those times where we just don't feel the excitement. We just don't feel that passion. Where we've gotten perhaps a bit cold. But the smoke is still there. And that voice, though a whisper, is still there. In the ascension of Jesus, we have something that declares to us that humanity has been redeemed. We get a picture of redeemed humanity, rescued mankind and we get a glimpse of also glorified humanity what we are to become because it was Jesus as a real live human being who ascended to the father he ascended as a man he ascended bringing up our humanity with him to the father The image of God that was created in Adam, that was created, was lost. That image in man, created and lost through Adam's sin, was redeemed and renewed in Christ. 
That's why the ascension matters. The ascension is not merely some add-on that we've made to the gospel or some kind of appendix to the, to, the, to the back of the book that is the gospel. The ascension is the story, it's the last chapter of the book that then ends with an ellipsis saying there's still more to come, of course. But it's that last chapter in the gospel story of what Christ has done to rescue that image that was lost in man. And in redeeming it and renewing it, He brings up that rescued and redeemed image in human form. And He bears it into the throne room of God. And so when we hear that Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, when we hear those words in the creed, when we speak them with our mouths, when we read them in the Scriptures, we should not think of some disembodied spirit sitting with another disembodied spirit. We should think of a man, Jesus. A Jewish man. Sitting in the throne room, in the throne room of God, pleading for us, bearing our redeemed humanity before the Father, and scarred by the wounds of our redemption. What comes down must go up. The one who was made incarnate for our sakes is the one who is forever incarnate for our sakes. In the incarnation, Jesus hitched up his holiness to our brokenness. That's what the Hebrews writer is talking about here. He does, he's not ashamed to consider us his brethren, to consider us his siblings. He says, if they partake of flesh and blood, if they are plunged into the midst of brokenness, then I will go as well. I'll take on flesh and blood. I will go into the face of that enemy that terrifies them death. And I will destroy that enemy. And I will redeem my people because they are mine. So what does he do? He hitches up his holiness. To our brokenness. But he is forever incarnate. So the one who came to earth from heaven. Ascended back up to heaven from earth. And in doing so. He lifted up our brokenness into His holiness. Redeemed humanity sits at the Father's right hand. And the Hebrews writer tells us if you take a peek ahead to chapter 7, he tells us that Christ lives forever to make intercession for His people. 
He sits at the Father's right hand pleading for us, interceding for us, bearing us to His Father. In interceding for us, He provides for us grace for our need. Whatever the need, He provides grace for that need. He provides to us strength. He provides prayer in our behalf. I remember when I was the youth pastor here, right after Lindsay and I got married, it was a couple years into our marriage, and we felt that God was calling us to seminary. And that was going to mean that we would be leaving this church that we love so much. I remember confiding in a friend. It was Marshall. Most of you know Marshall. I told him about how hard of a decision it was, but it was what, what we knew we needed to do. And he said, well, friend, I can tell you this. He said, I'll be praying for you. And you know Jesus is praying for you. That kind of blew me away. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'd been through some, semi, some, uh, some, not seminary, I'd been through some theology classes, I'd been through some Bible classes, but the, the gravity of hearing that Jesus was praying for me, it was heavy. But it was also uplifting. Whatever the need, He provides grace for that need. Gives us strength. He prays for us. He enables us in our evangelism. You know, evangelism is not just about us going and trying to muster up the opportunity to tell the world the good news. God is already at work in the world. God is already at work in your neighbor's lives. He's already at work in your co-workers' lives. Even those lives that seem like train wrecks and complete messes. He is already at work. He is there. As Dr. Dennis Kinlaw calls it, he, we are the second witness because His Spirit's already there witnessing. He gives us grace for our need. He is able to strengthen those who are tempted because He knows what it is to be tempted. He knows. He understands. He knows what loss feels like. He knows what hurt feels like. He knows what it feels like to feel the upon Him. He lives forever to make intercession. In bringing redeemed humanity into the throne room of God, He came as a high priest before the Father. And the Hebrews writer tells us by suffering for sins, he has is, he is enabled himself to become a propitiation for our sins. He offers atonement for our sins. Not just the sins of them. Not just those sins up the street that are worse than ours. But all of our sins. That doesn't mean we sin every single day even when we don't know we're sinning. As though sin is some boogeyman. But when we do sin, we have an advocate. When we do sin, we have one 
who has been tempted and who has defeated sin, who sits in our behalf and cries out, O Father, forgive them, restore them. We must humble ourselves before our sins. We must be honest about them. And a little bit of accountability will go a long way. A little bit of bearing our souls to someone else who can provide strength and who can hear us out and who can remind us in whose voice we can hear the voice of Jesus saying, you've confessed and you've turned and Jesus forgives you. He lives forever to make intercession. And in interceding for us, He provides salvation to our depths. There in chapter 7, specifically verse 25, the letter writer says, Therefore He is able also to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Such a high priest was fitting for us, one who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. He intercedes for us and in the throne room of God, He provides for us a salvation that goes into the depths of our darkness, that goes into the depths of our very souls. He is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to save not just from some sins, not just from the really bad sins, or perhaps we'd rather think of it as He can't save from the really bad sins. All He can do is cover up those little things. He is able to save from all sins. Because He is a high priest who has offered Himself in our behalf. He has wed His divinity with our humanity. And He is able to offer complete and total cleansing and healing. Complete and total restoration and renewal. What comes down must go up. And the letter writer tells us that because he has gone back up because he has presented redeemed humanity to the father we have before us a calling the calling upon our lives is put very very simply by the letter writer he tells us first of all consider Jesus we're talking about the Lord of all glory. We're talking about the one who has been declared the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who is Lord of the universe. 
The one who is able to make all things new. The one who is able to rise from the dead after being dead for three days. And yet we look around us and we see a world that is broken and hurting. And we don't yet see all things under Him in subjection. And so what does the Hebrews writer tell us? He says, but we see Jesus. And then he invites us, consider Jesus. Consider Him who is our Apostle and who is our High Priest. In considering Him, He's not inviting us merely to ponder Him or think about Him. He is inviting us to cast ourselves before Him To throw ourselves where He leads. And He tells us to hold fast. He says, Moses was able to do it. And even more than Moses, Christ has done it. Hold fast. Never give up. Always keep pressing on. Always climb higher up that mountain. Always be faithful. Never despair. Always hope. Hold fast. Because there's reason for rejoicing. He will never give up on us. And we must never give up on Him. I I pulled out um, my worn out copy of The Last Battle, the final book from the Chronicles of Narnia uh, this week and Every time I do, I turn, I turn to the very end of the book. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, I cannot help it. I always get choked up if I just see the words on the page when I get to that last chapter. Um, the, the whole story, the whole series is life-changing. But one of the things about that last chapter, and this is no, no spoiler alert needed. I'm not going to spoil anything. You have this continuing refrain as... as Folks are running, headed towards something. They are running and they feel like they are renewed with strength and they're not getting tired and they're, they're always feeling the breeze in their face and they're even running, keeping up with horses and they're laughing as they're talking together saying, how is this even possible? And what you keep hearing being spoken is a cry, a battle cry, further up and further in. There is no time ever to stop climbing. We must press on. For our Lord calls us onward and upward. He calls us further up and further in.
Consider Jesus. And hold fast. Because what has come down has gone back up. And He calls us upward. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take our lives as as broken as they may be, as scarred as they may be, as faithless as they sometimes may be, and help us to radically trust you and in trusting you help us to radically follow after you Father we pray that you would help us to hear that voice booming down from that mountain and help us to lift up our eyes And say, yes, Lord, I can't do it in my strength. I can't do it in my power. I can't do it in myself. But Lord, if you will help me, I will climb as high as I can. And I will follow as quickly as I can. Because you are a merciful and gracious High priest. You cared so much about us that you just wanted to become one of us so that you could rescue us. And you've raised us up with yourself into the heavenlies. So Lord, help us to follow you Help us to proclaim the good news that the one who is able to make all things new, he's already begun that work. And there's coming a day where he will come again and it will finish it. And so, Lord, may we be found faithful in the meantime. May we roll up our sleeves and get to work. May we roll up our sleeves and get down into the, to, to the mud and the muck and the mire of this life. Declaring to others that we're going where Jesus follows. Won't you come with us? We pray all this in His name. Amen.